2: of you and dad, and my mom always said, uh, literally, the day that we met, we spent every day together for the thereafter. rest of our lives. We never left each other's side, and I was like, "Cute." I can't keep a relationship <laughs> for more than a fucking year. Like, fuck me. Like, it's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up. Are to. Are you
1: single right now?
2: Yes, I am, Mark. I am single. Funny you should ask. Okay. Have yeah. you have any homies?
1: Yeah, I got it. I got to think. About, I mean, it's been a weird time for everybody because. I started the... I don't really need to get into all this.
2: (laughs) You don't need to get into it. (laughs) We'll offline it. But no, it is. It's like a very weird time.
1: I'm Mark Ronson, and this is the Fader Uncovered podcast. In this interview series, I'll be speaking with some of the most influential and groundbreaking musicians in the world, from genre-defining stars to avant-garde trailblazers about their lives and careers. Each episode will be rooted in these musicians' iconic Fader cover stories, an institution that over the past two decades has told artists' stories like no other. The podcast is a chance for us to talk about the past, present, and future, reflecting on their breakthroughs, diving into their lives when their covers hit shelves, and discussing what the future might hold now. And it's an opportunity for me to speak to some of the artists I most admire. This is The Fader Uncovered with Mark Bronson. If you haven't already listened to part one of this interview, go back and do that now. And if you have, get ready for more massive lulls and deep sobs with this lovely chat with the brilliant women of High. You all have your own places, right? I imagine.
2: SC lives in the valley still. I still I, live in the valley. I had to move.
1: Oh no! Did you defect from the valley? I did. Fuck.
2: I'm probably, I did. yeah, Alana. Which is which is very controversial with my family. She's going to be back. Well, let me tell you a fucking story. After our first tour, I was like, I cannot live with my parents anymore. Even though I didn't have any money, I was like, Oh, she also needs- disclaimer,
0: I don't live with mom and dad. No,
2: you don't live with mom and dad. No, 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 you okay. don't live with mom and dad.
1: I came to a barbecue at your place. That wasn't in the valley, was it? No, that was in a trendy part of town. I'm not going to triangulate you right now, but-
2: That was on the east side. If you know me, you know I love to entertain. But like okay. when I mean entertain, I like love to grill. I love to like have a barbecue yeah. grill master. But I had come back from our first tour and I was like, I need to get my own apartment because I can't live with my parents anymore because they were just driving me nuts. As as mom and dad, as you do. <laughs> and I had gotten this apartment in the valley because I was like, I'm not gonna move far. Like I'm a valley girl through and through, eight one eight till I die. And my parents had somehow figured out how to get like a key to my apartment just in case like I was like dying. Like that was like they're like, okay, if you're gonna get your own apartment, like we need the key to it. So like we we know that you're safe. And I was like, okay, I'm 21. This is a little extra. And then there was like one day where I was like, I think I was like hungover or some shit. And I was like eating cereal on my couch, like watching cartoons or something. And the door just opened and I literally like threw. (laughs) the cereal bowl like in yeah. the air yeah
1: slow motion like the milk <laughs> like, and the corn plates yeah, like, coming the milk down is separately. Going
2: everywhere like there's milk and fucking fruit loops or like cocoa puffs fucking everywhere and my parents are like you didn't pick up your phone and i was like i am I just woke up and i'm fucking hungover and then i was like okay there needs to be a freeway between us because yeah yeah i can't do this anymore and so i moved to the east side I will come back to the valley when when at at a point I'll be back. I I, I can't not live in the valley again. It's like my DNA. I
0: love it. I'm never leaving.
1: Did your parents, are they honest with you? Did they party at all in the 70s? Or is like a hangover something that's completely foreign to them?
0: Hell yeah. I mean, growing
2: up, like my parents' date nights were going dancing. Right. Like it wasn't like we're going to go have a nice dinner. It was like, we want to go dancing. We want to like salsa dance, disco dance. Like we're going to a dance hall. So my parents, like when they met, they basically fell in love because their two best friends put them together and they went to the disco. Yeah. My mom would take her dancing very seriously. When yeah. She would rent club. out. She would like rent out a studio. It was a like studio. It was like a whole thing. It's like literally my dream. I'm like, mom, I wish we were best friends in the 70s because she would rent out a studio. She had a dance partner that like there was no there was nothing going on. Other than dancing, like it was yeah. like we're dancing, we're getting a studio, we're practicing our moves, our turns, with turns. The arms. Along so came, fir- yeah. so came, oh, so came poly style. Yes. So by Friday, so by the weekend, like by Friday and Saturday, they're like, we're fucking prepared, and we're gonna go to the club, to the disco, and dance on the light up floor, and like hopefully have people like being like, go Donna, wow, go Donna, <laughs> like that was like her dream, like she was always about that. Yeah. And so my dad is also an incredible dancer. It runs in the family. I mean, I feel like I'm not as good as my parents, but that's like basically how they fell in love was like dancing well, and things. music. Yeah. Well, dancing man, and music. And then like on their first date, I think they like went to like a sushi restaurant or something. I think like sushi was like all the rage. And my dad took the chopsticks and was playing on Glasses. the glassware. I think we actually talked about this in the article.
1: He was playing Let It Whip by the Daz Band. I read there, that yeah. in the article yeah. and I'm like, that, that is, is a fucking great song and I didn't know your yeah. dad was just like so into his like disco R&B electro kind of oh, funk yeah. that's insane and like
2: my mom was like do you play drums and he was like yeah and my mom was like well I, I play, play
0: guitar. guitar and then what it. a great time to be single in the 70s I when know you could like go that's, like, like my people, dream yeah. like danced there like was that's even, all I my mom
2: told do. me about a club that had like a dance floor but also there were tables around the dance floor that just had backgammon
1: I'm Yeah,
2: like what this is like the, all the things i love shesh-besh <laughs> and dancing like what i don't think the listeners know what shesh-besh it's backgammon. is. backgammon it means backgammon saturday night backgammon game and a twirl on the dance floor like what more could you ask for the only thing that i want to do after this pandemic is like have a light up dance floor but like like learn the dances from the 70s like yeah like how my mom was like have a fucking dance partner learn all the dances and like go to this club that doesn't exist that we need to start because I'm starting it right now and like treat it like a job. Can Club Heartbreak be a dance club? Yes. But like I want us to learn the dances. Like you got to learn your dance. You come prepared. Like if you don't know the dances, you're lame.
1: Yeah, I do love that idea. Like that attention to and the love and the preparation. Like you said, like you're going out Friday. So you like get this whole thing ready. I mean, I got to like bridge what people talk about, I guess, in New York, the last era of pure dance parties, of course, there are still dance parties, but before smoking ban, cell phones, and VIP tables, like people would just go to the club. New York club stayed open till four, I would DJ from 10 sometimes, or 11 to four in the morning, and you would judge how you were doing by like, how long did you keep that crew on for three hours? Did they leave? Oh shit, am I playing something wrong? Like, the girls have just left the floor, and people really came the clubs like strictly dancing. It would be like really wonderful. I feel like at your parties that I've been to, people are dancing like that. That's I,
0: well, all that's, we want.
2: That's like my number one priority mm-hmm. when I throw parties. Is that like I I'm not about the like leaving the dance floor to go smoke or like go socialize. I'm like, yeah. no, you treat my birthdays and my sister's birthdays and any other event like a fucking like I want everybody to be sweaty. I want everybody to be like rubbing up. I mean, we can't do it during COVID, but like rubbing up against each other, having a good time. Like that's like my my favorite situation is like people being like not wanting to leave the dance. Like I remember I always end my birthdays with I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys, like because everyone sings like as the lights are coming on. I think I was there.
1: I think I was there you're one there. year. And yeah. we
2: all like hold each other. Like it's like my, it's really my friend group is like very, we're all like very like, we're like family. Like and, if, and I feel like when you dance for a whole night, you kind of feel like you're in a family. Yes. And I always end my birthdays with, I want it that way. And yeah. like, we all like sing and cry together to the Backstreet Boys. And it's like the one thing that like makes me the happiest is if someone comes up to me and they're like, where do we go next? Like, we got to keep the party going. And I'm like, my, I'm going I don't to have anywhere to go but I'm thank going you bed. that's the biggest compliment of all time like I'm gonna go to bed it's 2 a.m.
1: Have you reached out or and obviously because your friend Taylor, that's a big connection. Have you never tried to write with Max Martin? Isn't there some kind of like thing in your head that that that, does that never occurred or not? We've actually
2: never. We met him once. I mean, I'm the biggest Max Martin fan, of of course. Like, I mean, even with like Ace of Base, Ace of Base Bible. I mean, I listen to Ace of Base every day. Like, that's my pump up music. And like obviously have been like the biggest Max Martin fan because he is the god of pop. He really did. He made all the dopest shit. Britney. Backstreet Boys, NSYNC. I
1: love when he talks about, I want it that way because the lyrics in the Chorus, what are they? What is the lyric? Ain't nothing like they Am don't I? actually make sense. Tell is, me
2: why it ain't nothing but a heart. No, it doesn't need to make and sense, then, and make then make it's sense. like, and
1: I want it that way. It's never specified what way. What and, and he's like, and like he said it in interviews before, he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, if the melody is that great, and, and you're using like they're very International lyrics. Like they're the English words that everybody knows for some reason. And that's also part of the reason, other than just being fucking brilliant melodies that they really work. But I remember when I heard Adele early, I heard the one song that she did with Max Martin on that second album.
2: Which one? On
1: 25. Send your love to your send your love to your love. love. And I swear I heard the first eight bars of it, and I was like oh, cool, she wrote this with Haim. There was something <laughs> about the guitar and everything, and I thought that that was so interesting that Adele That's plus Max compliment. Martin equals, like, Haim in my brain.
2: Oh, my God. I, That's that such a big is compliment. the biggest compliment.
1: I do think you should write a song with him.
2: Aren't you the reason why Esty's on the Adele record playing tambourine?
1: <laughs> oh, fuck, was that the Ad- When you came in and played, was yes. that? I was? we were go- at
2: your studio.
1: Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So I was looking at like our text history because I was like, maybe I'll unearth something interesting to talk about today. And this was the first text because you guys changed your number quite a lot, like almost like cons. But it said (laughs) the last number I had for you, I see this email says, hey, you want to come by later, hit some tambourine, maybe some bass. But I thought that was for a Lady Gaga album. That
2: was later. Lady Gaga was later. You're like the reason why Essie's the hottest tambourine player or, on the scene.
0: It might be vice versa. Yeah, you Wait. played. You came and no, played on the... because I think Adele the... was first.
1: Yeah, it would have been.
0: Because Joanne didn't come out that long ago. No, right? no. Like... Well, whichever one it was, I was at Electric Ladyland with you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But you actually also did me a favor. <laughs> Do you remember why?
1: I gave you publishing on the whole album. <laughs> oh, no. I'm still in trouble with Gaga for that. No.
0: You had sent that or something, and I wasn't going to be in New York. And then when you sent that, I was like, oh, I have a reason to be in New York, and I was dating a guy that was in New York at the time. Okay. So you use Mark as an excuse? So I, I was like, well, guess what? I'm working now. I have work. I, right. like, I'm sorry. I have work I now. I have work doing claps and yeah. tambourine <laughs> yeah. on the like, Adele record. I'm in the studio with Mark Ronson, so I actually I I'm have so sorry. to be in New York. I
2: also can't use my hands for anything <laughs> for the next 48 hours because these hands are for Mark right now. For Mark now. Ronson. They're
0: They're gold. And so, so, so I basically had an excuse to go to New York. That's and, great. Because we had, like, just started dating. It was, like, it was yeah. very, very new. Yeah. And so I had a reason, and a very impressive reason at that. I was like, I'm playing, you know, I'm
2: playing no, on the new Lady
1: Gaga it's record.
2: Literally, literally is on the packaging being, like, Tambourine by Essie no. Haim on Joanne and on Adele because <laughs> of you.
1: But also because I've gone to your shows and I've always been, I mean, you're all really great percussion players, but I really just remember it wasn't like a favor. I was like, oh, who has like a really good feel? And I was like, oh, I remember watching Esty. And I remember we done some sessions together. I'm honestly together.
2: offended. My whole section is fucking fucking maracas Listen, and tambourines and you Alana, choose let I'm offended. Let me, let me I think it started compliment. as
1: bass. I think it okay, started fine. as Thank bass, you. but then I knew that you would play the tambourine way better than me. And I also... I mean, we should definitely talk about the other times. If we're going to talk about some of the high points, the things that I've definitely wasted all your time in the studio, on, like a, like doing a cover of Ghostbusters.
0: No, this is fun <laughs> as fuck. I could do this all fucking day. I miss you, Mark. Are you gonna call? <laughs>
1: We went into the studio to potentially work on some ideas for what your album, two would have been. And I was like, instead, I was like, I'm also supposed to be doing some music for this Ghostbusters reboot. Do you guys just want to, (laughs) like, learn (laughs) Ghostbusters? Which really was a waste of your time. Which honestly
2: was one of my favorite. I'm shocked that they didn't choose our version of Ghostbusters. Come on. It would have been incredible if they did. We did the whole thing. Maybe we'll just leak it. We should leak it. We should just leak all of our our things that we've done together. All of our that we've done with you. (laughs)
1: And then also the Howard Stern yes. song which was not
2: gonna is bring going it up. On with that? I wasn't gonna bring it up because I know it's a, like a sore subject. And well do you wanna explain what it is?
1: Somehow someone in Howard Stern knew that I was a huge fan. Of the show, and they were like, "How it's been playing around with this idea of maybe doing a song." It's like, "Why can't I have a big song?" If Rick D's had Disco Duck. I I want my number one song. I've conquered all the rest of media, like you know, or whatever he said. And uh, they knew I was a huge fan, and I was like, "I'd love to," you know, put my hand up. And so as we started to flesh out the idea. I don't know if I knew that you were fans, but I just knew that you would be great on the record. And I just, there was energy. Anyway, I think I just made a shitty song. It's nobody else's fault except my own. Did, and I think it that. It
2: wasn't a shitty song. It though, wasn't a shitty but song. But the thing that I will say, because an article came out that was like, Hi, I'm uh, Mark Ronson, and Howard Stern are going to be doing a song together. The amount of fucking calls yeah, I oh got, my God. I don't get any fucking calls ever. No one is like, oh my God, fun. Like they're like, yay, your record came out, whatever. The amount of calls of being like, this is the biggest thing that you've ever done in your whole life and I was like I know
1: tell me about it yeah.
0: And it will never come out. Ta- and I'm sad I know. about it. I think should we I do a that, redo? Should we try again? I know like, we should maybe try well, again.
1: I think that I heard that he said some really nice stuff about your performance at the <laughs> Grammy. So I feel like he's like Oh, that's like, good. We're on the it's like on the radar, I know he knows that there's goodwill there. I just think that he's also exceptionally smart about exactly what he should do. Anything he's ever done from private parts of the book to the new book is always just knocks out exactly the part because he knows exactly his limitations in his place like you can't be as big and important as he is for so long totally. without being that and I think there was just something in that song that just like wasn't like quite right I, th- I think I One like day. made it a One little we'll corny or it something. Again. no you did
0: it Mark no but we can sh- listen this is don't you talk to yourself like that Mark
1: it was a real like all-star Jew crew though it was Ezra Nick Kroll you guys you know um, I know yeah, so, we some, need to try something. again
0: I, I think, think we can try again. And, and also so like, people are since then since that article came out, I do get texts from like four people every three months asking yeah, like, about it. What's it? up? Yeah. Like, you guys like, Like just at, like asking like, or like, can you just send it to me?
1: Yeah. I've like, never on been like, sly? as
0: call Bronson.
1: I think that like I've never had it felt so like Cool and important is that like little two months window of like when I was on the show oh, when he said there was a song happening and like if people would stop me outside Stella or like an Uber driver in New York with <laughs> like I was just like that's all they want to know. And I and I wanted to make it great because I love how, but I just don't think that it was really that shit.
0: Well, one Let's, day we'll figure it honestly, out. Honestly, I'm okay to actually devote the next six months to that. Yeah. We also have to make another record, but we'll figure it out. Priorities.
1: How's it going? Are you working on Heim 4? Or Heim were you for, thinking should about it? We call it, it?
2: Heim 4. Or should we just do like, we've never done like a self titled album. Like, I feel like every band kind of needs like a self titled, like no, just Heim. I don't think we should. Heim. I remember when we were making Days Are Gone, we were like, do we just call it Heim? And then we we're like, no, that's, no, I don't want to do that. that.
1: No, Days Are Gone is really good, but it's cool to save the self titled. It's like Flossy yeah. for five or six, I do think. Okay, okay. Cool. I so I so, so we'll
2: have some other, some other names yeah. coming up. But, um, yeah, we're always writing. I mean, I think it's, like, very early days. I feel like I'm talking like I'm in Love Island. Like, it's Eddie dies, mate. It's early days. It's <laughs> early days. Um, but it's very early days. We just made up our setup, and we're just writing and kind of figuring out what the vibe is. We I try to we, write every day. We try to write. I mean, the way that Danielle—I I basically learned songwriting through—I mean, obviously, listening to The Greats, but I also just am so in awe of my sister. I think that she's just an incredible songwriter, and— She's always just had this mod of, like, don't put pressure on yourself. Just write a chorus or a verse or something just every day just to, like, keep your mind going.
0: It's weird to be a fan of someone. Of who, your sister? Yeah, of your sister.
2: I mean, she's going to listen to this and be like, no. Yeah. But, and we're fans. Um, we're big fans. I'm a fans fan of, of you, of, too. I'm, I'm a fan of you, too. I love Mark you. Ronson's a fan of my bass <laughs> playing. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, still upset
0: about this situation. I'm going to keep bringing it up. Of... I'm going to take that to the bank. It's very annoying. I don't like take that to the bank.
2: But yeah, like, I feel like you kind of really need to work on it. There's, we always talk about like the, like, there's always those songs that come to you like in the shower or like you're walking down the street and you're like, wait, what? And they're like the best things that you've ever written. But that fucking comes maybe once every 14 years. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. I can't, I need to make a record. So yeah, like we're in the, in
0: the experimental stage, if you will. Yes. But-, but it is like a muscle. I think, I think you can agree. It's like a muscle that you kind of have to flex. I mean, if you write a hundred songs... Happy Price. Go to your happy price, priceline.
1: The start of the writing process for any album can be terrifying, and especially if you already deal with a healthy case or massive case of anxiety, and you've been anointed as the saviors of modern guitar pop. Basically, you have your entire life's worth of experience to put into your first album and zero expectation level from the public then, if it does well for your second album, you have about 12 months to find enough life experience to write about, and then there's the pressure that it also needs to be better than the record before it. And repeat. You can tell that the writing process is something that haunts Haim to the core because they obviously take a good while between albums. That point where anxiety and perfectionism intersect is crippling to any creative then you have to combine the fact that there are individual voices between these three sisters that all need to come through. I can only really imagine the intense process of songwriting within this band. We did do one session, and I remember Danielle was coming up with melodies, while ST was in her book of poetry finding lyrics, and Alana was shredding some guitar riff. But I'm sure it changes on every song. They're also constantly challenging themselves to push the sonic boundaries of their music inserting really interesting unexpected elements to their sound with cool drum programming or a sax solo, never settling on the more obvious tropes of being guitar band. It's really not unlike how their hero Joni Mitchell used unconventional guitar tunings that were fully her own to really push the boundaries and change the sound of folk and pop in her day.
0: It's right. also just
2: weird because we put out a record and usually you put out a record and you go on tour. And like touring is like our, you know, favorite thing to do. And we were, we considered ourselves a
1: you live are band live band or anything. I remember that festival the first time I saw you were playing the same festival in Croatia on that like beautiful island, that modular festival.
2: Oh my God. Oh my
0: Havar. God.
2: Havar Fest. Which so many people also talked to me about. It. Like it felt like there was only like 12 people at that festival, but. All, like I feel like I've run into so many people being like, yeah, I saw you in Havar. And yeah. I was like, wait, you were there? There was like no one there.
1: You played in some ancient Croatian ruins that was like some <laughs> Game of Thrones shit. And you would have thought maybe there were 12 people in there because there was so much smoke. And, but I just yeah. remember seeing you guys rocking out on SG guitars and just being like, Oh, like the rumors are true. Like this is fucking insane. (laughs) This is 2014, the summer, I remember, but yeah, so Mm -hmm. you were saying you miss, you are a live band for sure.
2: Yeah, and so like putting out a record, especially a record that while we were making it, we were very much like trying to figure out how to do it live. Like what the stage was going to look the, like. Yeah, and like also like we were really excited about this idea of maybe just for a large portion of the tour, we would just do it as a trio because we used to just play just us three and we've never really done that since we started and it was just like a really fun idea. I mean, I feel like now drums. I'm like spoiling our tour announcement, but like there will be a trio portion of our tour um, with Danielle playing drums, and me playing guitar and Essie playing bass. Awesome. But then COVID happened and like now, so now we're not on tour and like it's weird to put out a record and I feel like. My body is just like ready to tour. It's like, what yeah. are you doing? I'm you're so like ready to tour. Like you're fucking yeah. home. Like get off your ass and get on the bus and go on tour. So we're really just waiting for the call. I mean, everyone keeps you know asking us when the tour is happening. It's not up to us. It's up to you know the powers that be. Like when they start opening venues. But
1: you'll definitely tour this record though before. Like it won't 100%. be like jump right into the album four no. without touring. Well, Women in music. I don't music. know.
2: It kind of just depends on how it goes
1: you can play new zealand and australia already and i'm sure you're God. huge there dude
2: anyone there any promoters that want us to fucking go over there like i'm down get us on and play yeah. i'm very down i just want to play i mean we got to play the grammys which was also the i mean talk about snl like the grammys i was like that was like a pipe dream i was like we'll never play the fucking grammys and also like that I was the have first time you
1: played the grammys of wow. course oh, are you wow. kidding me amazing well are you're you up for me? best new artists and stuff we were I mean, yeah. yeah,
0: but that doesn't mean you get to play no, the Grammys. No, and, right. and when we got asked to play,
2: we were like, what? Like, really? Yeah, And yeah. it was just like this crazy experience to play the Grammys, and we got like a little taste of playing live again, because we hadn't played, I mean, I haven't played live in over, over, since the record came out. We did like a like a little live stream from Canada, Like in but, front of people that aren't
0: each other. But in front of like other. people
2: that aren't each other that were like the cast and crew of the Grammys or whatever. And it was like having that little taste was like, God, I feel fucking miss this like i fucking miss plugging in my fucking guitar and playing
1: if you miss it imagine how much the crowds missing what the crowd and the energy is going to feel like like the release from the people as well that's going to be so insane
0: i'm also just like as an audience member like the reason i think that my sisters and i love touring so much is because we also love being an audience member too i mean i dragged alana and danielle (sighs) to gigs when I was probably 17 so Alana was like 11
2: Actually when we were talking about like the Kings of Leon it actually brought up a story about when hiem was starting I, I remember playing the satellite that wasn't wasn't the satellite that it, it was called, called Spaceland space land,
1: mm-hmm. and we
2: had gotten Space Spaceland and not told them that we had an underage person in the band and they were like you can't come in to me they're like you can't come in and I was like I'm in the fucking band man like I got to get in there and they were like so upset that like this band had come in with like an underage person because I mean to be fair you can lose your liquor license so I mean but I wasn't drinking I just wanted to play yeah and I remember they like made me Wait outside. stand outside. And I remember I had to pee so fucking badly like I remember standing outside and being like please like to the bouncer, like with my hands clutched, like please I need to pee I'm gonna pee in my pants and then I have to go on stage and if I have a pee pee stain on my pants when I go on stage I'm not gonna be happy like I just really need to pee and he was like no and literally like five minutes before the show Happened. They run. let me come in, and it literally was like Road Runner. Like you saw, like like the <laughs> the body, outline. like outline of my body in smoke, and I like hightailed it. And I think the bouncer thought that I was like hightailing it to the bar. I have no idea, but like literally, the bouncer started running after me, and I was like, I
0: just pay.
2: pay. Like they were gonna like grab me and like yeah. take me, out. and Tackle I was you. like, no.
1: And that toilet's pretty far back in the venue. Oh, I can picture that toilet. You gotta go all the way back and this is Weird, like, VIP, yep. smoky room. Yeah,
0: like... It's like, it's like a labyrinth. <laughs> and I was like, I swear to God, I'm gonna pee in my pants, but sorry, I cut you off. Continue. Oh, no, I just... I remember... Going to see shows and, like, every time I would go, it would be like, it gave me, like, more gas in the tank to just be like, this is what I want to do. And with Diana Lana, too, and all three of us were just, like, especially at Spaceland, there's, like, that iconic curtain, the blue the, blue the blue and silver, silver, silver
2: curtain. curtain. I honestly, I think the satellite's closed.
0: It's closed. Which is so sad. Which is really yeah. sad. But, like... I had a fake ID, Danielle had a fake ID, and Alana had a fake ID, and Alana had braces. And I remember every time we would go out, I'd be like, do not. Don't open your fucking open mouth. Open your fucking mouth. Don't let him. Because they knew,
2: like, and knew, like, if I fucked it up, which also, notoriously, in my family, I don't have a poker face. Like, it's like a running joke in my family. Like, I wear my emotions on my face, like, so fucking easily. Like, you can tell, like, okay, out of the crowd, who doesn't belong here? You don't belong here. And it's been like a like a running joke in my family Because, again, I, like, get nervous and start, like, sweating and, like, my eyebrows start, like, clenching up. It's like, you're not supposed to be here. And so Essie would know that if I didn't get into the bar, she would have to drive me home and miss the show. Like, she couldn't, like, leave me in the fucking car and I couldn't walk around by myself. Every time she'd be like, if you open your fucking mouth and you show your fucking braces, we're not getting into this club. So shut your mouth. You're gonna get it. And I was like, Essie, I don't think I can do she's like like literally it's like a movie. Like she like slaps me on the face, like, (laughs) Like, you can't fucking do it. Shut the fuck
0: up. Get it together. (laughs) Get it together.
2: Get it together. together." So like Essie would talk to the bouncer like while I would be like boop a doop boop, like give my idea and then be like Essie would just like fucking. I would like like, Jedi Mind trick the bouncer bouncer and just be
0: like you know, we're just, you know, three LA oh girls. Oh, God, like, going to see a band. Just,
2: just graduated from college. I'm like 12. I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck.
0: <laughs> like, here we go. Once I got my license, we would, like, go over the hill and go see shows. And, like, that was, like, music school for us. Yeah. Like, we would, like, see bands. And, and, like, we were such big fans of the LA music scene. And, like, a lot yeah. of the bands that like, came out of the LA music scene at that time.
1: Shout out yeah. Phantom Planet. We got to shout out <gasps> Greenwald. Wasn't that a formidable...
0: Oh, Phantom Planet. Shout out yeah. Alex Greenwald. I mean, I saw oh them in like 2003. Well, we got to open up Roxy. for them. They did
2: a, a reunion show, show at, the at the Troubadour. And they asked us to open up for them and one of my favorite songs of theirs is i think it was like on a reissue of one of their records but it's the song galleria which is literally about the The valley valley. okay and it's about like the 94 earthquake and all valley references
0: yeah it's one of the best
2: songs about the valley other than i mean obviously tom petty free falling is the you know like yeah. ultimate Gold valley star. song ventura boulevard but he's from is, gainesville right but, but that was like a valley. big deal and like that was like my favorite song we got to sing galleria we like didn't even tell phantom plan that we were going to sing it and then alex came down uh, and like sang it with us and that's i was, so it was cool. like one of the biggest moments of my life i was like with my best friend sammy at the time and i remember watching them play on the steps of the troubadour and we both looked at each other and we were like what the Fuck, like this is this is it, man! Like this is fucking it! Like you yeah. fucking me! I was like, oh my fucking god! We're opening up for Phantom Planet, like our my favorite band growing up. Yeah. Shout out to Phantom Planet, love you guys.
1: Shout out Alex Greenwald.
2: Shout Alex out Greenwald. Alex Greenwald.
1: I guess the other thing as well. This is more like from a journalist thing. Oh God! But I was reading that article, and there was one thing that wasn't even like a snide comment, but it was saying oh, how no. great the harmonies, the melodies, and it said maybe not the most witty lyrics talking about the first record. And I feel like that's the Ouch. thing that's that was so in the Fader no, article? but I don't. <laughs> I wasn't bringing it up for that. I think the reason I was bringing it up is because now you listen to the last album, and there's some of the most like beautiful, like pathos, in depth. Man in the magazine, like there's so much, there's so much in it. They're so packed, they're so emotional, they're funny, they're snide. That you've kind of like dusted off any of that. Like I just feel like the way that you matured on this record is just like all there. Thank
0: you, because I think.
1: We're both, I'm older, but we're both traditionalists in some ways. There's things that, like, we really love about certain influences from some eras that, like, are in your DNA. But I feel like with this record, especially with the production, the sound, the arrangements, and the lyrics, like, you kind of just, like, cut any of the umbilical cord to that shit. And I just thought that was Thank you. Cool. Thank you.
2: I thought that our lyrics were witty on the first record. I have to be honest with you, but, but no, it is true. I mean, it's like with any songwriting. I mean, like, when you look at Days Are Gone, we wrote The Wire in 2008 yeah so like in 2008 and we put out days are gone in 2013 13 in 2008 how old was i like fucking 7 16 you were 16 16 like like you have to grow and you have to, there's so much more i hope <laughs> we i mean I hope, yeah, we I hope we grow
0: hope we grow but
2: i get like when even talking about this record i mean we really like made a point to be like there there are things that are really fucking hard to talk about And there are things that I don't even like to talk about with my friends, like things that I don't like to talk about with my sisters, things that I don't like to unearth, like demons that are, you know, like dark passengers that are in your you know, body that you're like, the second that I open up this fucking wound, like it's everything is going to come out. And we finally were just like, we have to. If we don't, we're not going to make anything that we like. All the stuff before that while we were writing was like very on the surface, like didn't really know what we were doing. and We made a conscious decision to be like, unfortunately we have to talk about this shit and we really have to fucking go there and we really have to you know, while making the record i mean like it was a super fun experience but it also was very hard i mean even writing hallelujah it was one of the quickest songs we had written but i think it was because we just had so much on the subject of we had you know, some ammunition had some ammunition and it just kind of came very quickly and it like and i'll never forget the day that we what wrote is it, the
1: ammunition we, so
2: basically the day that we wrote Hallelujah. Uh, One of our friends is Tobias Desso Jr., which I know you know. Yes. I mean, I knew him, I want to say, like right when he moved to L.A. I mean, I never really worked on anything together. And we were going to the studio, the same studio that we wrote Days Are Gone In. There's like this magical room that we like to talk about (laughs) where it literally has no flavor. It's like a... There's no windows. There's no windows. It's a concrete box. And it's in Burbank. And we wrote, I want to say... 75% 75% of days are gone in this room and it like changed our lives. I mean, days are gone, obviously changed our lives, our first record. And so we were like, why don't we just go back to the room and see what happens? And, like, we'll bring Tobias and whatever. And we got in there and we as cheesy as it sounds, we had always wanted to write a song about being sisters because we're so close. And like, I can't imagine existing without my siblings. We're like the closest siblings that I feel like exist. <laughs> If I wasn't doing this, I would still be at Essie's house. Like, it's just, I see Essie and Danielle every day. Like, they're my puzzle pieces. Like, I was blessed with being born with my puzzle pieces. So we got into the studio and we had this line, why me, how'd I get this hallelujah? We kind of all took that prompt and be like, hey, what do you want to write about? And for me, it was very obvious. I was like, right before Days Are Gone came out, my best friend passed away, Sammy, who was with me at the Phantom Planet concert. She got killed in a car accident. I think I was 20 years old when it happened. And then four months later, we started tour. It was like a very quick turnaround. It was the most devastating thing to ever happen to me. Like literally up until we were writing for Wimpy, I would talk about it and I would try to write about it. But it was one of those things where it's like, Anyone that loses someone, you know, as years pass, it's easier to talk about them. You don't immediately burst into tears when you talk about them. But, like, for a good couple of years, like, if anyone ever mentioned her, like, I would be inconsolable. It was, like, she was supposed to be with me for the rest of my life. She was, like, my puzzle piece that I wasn't born with. Like, she Mm -hmm. was, like, my girl. And it was, like, one day she was here, next day she was gone. And I, like, never got to say goodbye. I never got to tell her I loved her. I never got to hug her for one more time. Like, it was just... The most devastating thing of all time. And so when we were writing Hallelujah, I was terrified to write about her. And I like had mentioned to the group, to the class, like maybe I should write about Sammy. And Tobias was like, do it. And I still, I mean, even when I listen to Hallelujah, my verse, you can't put a person in a a verse. Like you can't fit a person that is like so fucking important to you in, in your life into six lines and and that was the thing that was like so excruciating even when i listen to holly i'm like did i even pay homage to her in the right way like i could do so much more like there's so many things that i want to say about her there's so many things that i want for her to live in this song it's like such an important song and i'll always feel that way (laughs) i'll always feel about like crazy about it but it goes into like what we were feeling during making this record it was like i really did not want to talk about it and then of course when it came out i had to like talk about her a lot which was also like a very insane experience and going back into that time and like thinking about the day that she passed away like it was just like a very it was like not only did i put her in a song i was like oh fuck i'm gonna have to talk about her to like people like even like journalists and stuff Where i'm like i don't know you like Mm -hmm. i don't even know if i can even talk about her to you and it's like a very hard thing and and The one thing when we were writing it, I was like, how the fuck am I going to sing this live? Even recording it, I was. I think the take that we use is the only take that I wasn't hysterically crying through. And that song was just so important. And and it honestly does encapsulate a lot of like where... Because that was one of the first songs that we wrote. Other than Summer Girl, it was like... Summer Girl, Now I'm In It and Hallelujah were like the three songs that were like really just showing their hands. It's like, okay, these are the three songs we're starting with. It was like, these are the (laughs) only ones that are done. And having summer girl now i'm in it in hallelujah as like a clump it was like we you can just tell i mean at least for me i'm like fuck we were like going through a lot of fucking shit even writing these three songs that's the ammunition i'm talking and that's about. the yes
1: <laughs> i think you feel that and now that you say that i mean i did i was listening today and you know it is also because your vo- voices sound beautiful and it is a beautiful song but like i instantly got a lump in my throat i actually texted danielle i was like oh i'm sorry i'm not gonna see you later but i've been listening and so uh, definitely. it's they're comes through without even me knowing what the song is about
2: that's why wimpy to me i mean it's the baby of the family obviously and it's the third out of all of our records so of course it's so my you're favorite record always love i'm always in... gonna love the because it's no the baby. i'll probably always love wimpy but it really is like the first record where i look at it and i'm like like our references were very specific on this record and i think you can tell like i feel like on maybe on our last record you kind of can know what it's about but like these records it was like very specific i mean when you listen to another another try it literally is a page out of my diary like literally it's like a relationship that i had gone through that literally kept repeating over and over and over and over again and it's like on like even referencing to like the hats and like the things that were in my car that i couldn't leave out like it's just like very specific he hasn't reached out about it though it's funny enough but
0: i hope he doesn't reach out
2: but it's yeah this record does it's just like so specific and it was so how we were feeling for the past since we started
1: I remember listening to women in music for the first time and hearing Haim's Hallelujah. I was so fully overwhelmed by the emotion, complete lump in the throat. The way the sisters pass the mic verse to verse, the way they harmonize, you know that whatever that song is about, it's certainly being felt 300% by them as they're singing it down. I don't think I had any idea what the song was about, it was just a full emotional reaction to the music. I didn't know its subject matter until we spoke and Alana shared that it was about her tragically losing her best friend in a car crash. But all this really just goes to show the power of emotion through song. When an artist puts such an intense, pure feeling into it that it's visceral, it really could be in a foreign language, and we'd still feel that pain. I watched the other day documentary Now, my favorite episode. Well, that whole... Show is incredible. There's really not a bad episode, and there's some really beautiful. For anyone who doesn't know, it's the Fred Armisen. Seth Meyers made and uh, what's his name? Bill Hader. Bill Hader. They made this amazing show that's a, each episode is a parody of sort of a famous doc or some kind of style mm-hmm. of a doc. And it, it's like everything from a Vice style doc to Grey Gardens to music. And there's a great one <laughs> called about the s- so story of the Blue Jean Committee. The
2: Blue mm-hmm. Jean Committee. Catalina Bravers. Catalina, breathe Catalina. <laughs> Well, basically, so
1: and go into just the just a movies. little
2: go into <laughs> <laughs> to like I mean my like that was like the biggest honor for them. I feel like there's a lot of biggest honors on this podcast. Also, very you know I'm very I'm very grateful for everything that has ever happened in my life, but.
1: That is actually a quote from the Blue Jean that Fred Armisen says that in one scene. He's like, I'm very grateful for the magazines and the people that wanted to see my mug. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, literally me. Relatable. Man, relatable. Relatable. But so my favorite rockumentary is the Eagles rockumentary, where it's like a two-part documentary. Hell about, freezes yeah. over. Yes. Yep. And so, there's two parts. The second part, like, not my favorite. Yeah,
1: because the second part's about the reunion and the unplugged, and it's not...
2: It's not... No shame to the documentary. Like, it's my favorite documentary, but...
1: But the first half is the golden seventies footage. It's everything. It's incredible. If and any the,
2: listeners have not seen this documentary, like I just watch it for fun. I must have watched it like fifty-five times. At this when
1: point. you want to see Don Henley just smash oh. a windshield in, Oh, which hell they yeah. literally just take the whole thing for the Blue Jean Committee documentary. <laughs> yeah, so, the, so the Blue
2: Jean Committee was like based on this documentary. So when when they yeah. said you know like, so you know we're doing an episode and it's like kind of based around you know the documentary with the Eagles and I was like say less. <laughs> yes i'm fucking there like literally tell me what what day what time i will make myself available like this is my dream and the songs so were so incredible yeah catalina breeze uh there was another one um
0: what was it, like dance with your
1: mother dance
2: with your grandma or something There was like some, there were the craziest things and and literally like the prompt was um like we all came to my house like they like brought like cameras to my house and they were like okay just basically explain Instead of saying the Eagles, say Blue Blue Jean Jean Committee. Committee. And like, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Like, it's so fun. Everybody go watch documentary now and also watch the Eagles documentary. It is because the the Eagles were the first band that I ever saw play ever in my life. That was like the beginning. Joe Walsh is like one of my favorite guitar players. And I met him at a party once. I think you were there. It was like after like a like a fashion party thing for Stella McCartney. I think okay, you were that, there. It was
1: like a concert. She put on a mini concert in L.A. for, for her yeah. line. And like all these people yes. got up and jammed.
2: Yeah. And we got invited. And there was like this after party. And literally, like, I feel like every celebrity was there. And we were just kind of in a corner, like, drinking and eating, like, Mexican food. And we were just like, we feel so out of place. And literally, Joe Walsh walks in. And I swear to God. I mean, in my mind, I dropped everything that I that was in yeah. my hands. Because I had, like, never seen him, like, in person before. Like yeah. My earliest memory of music is me going to the Corona Amphitheater in San Diego when I was eight years old, and he played Life's Been Good to a huge arena crowd. And the gag for that song was he put on this hard helmet, this, like, yellow hard helmet that had literally a camcorder, like a Costco camcorder on the on it because they didn't have GoPros back then. So it was, like, his version of, crowd. like, a Go... Yeah, and he mm-hmm. was, like, literally playing, and all you could see on the back screen, this, like, huge screen was, like, everyone losing, losing their, their fucking shit minds. and i was like and he was playing guitar i mean that song is fucking incredible yeah. like I, I mean i listen to it like at least once a week and watching him play guitar and also do like the vocal voice box there's a, yeah there's like a voice box in there yeah i was like this is what i need to do i was like that i want to be that yeah and so at this party i like the whole party was like, it was literally like a movie where like the hot guy walks in, except instead of the hot guy, it's Joe Walsh. Still and a hot I was guy. literally, still a hot guy. I mean, still hot guys. I fucking love Joe Walsh, but I was getting hyped up by my friends being like, just go say hi to him. And I was like, I can't say hi to him. Yeah. He's fucking Joe Walsh. I can't
0: say hi to but him. But also, who was he talking to? I don't remember. Alan Alda.
1: He was talking to Alan Alda. <laughs>
0: Is, like, was talking, to, he Somebody. Was talking to he was talking to Ringo Starr. Oh okay, well yeah. I mean, also okay. Ringo Starr I was pro- but like intimidating. I mean, I had casual, very I, casual. Of very course. Casual. Of course
2: I was like I mean, that's like the cool the table. The most intimidating the cool table at two the party. to speak to. And I was like I can't Combined say age of
1: 147.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I was like I can't go say hi and then finally like I think I had probably drank like 14 margaritas Margaritas, at that point so i had like liquid courage and i went up to him and i literally like was like i told him the story i was like when i was eight years old i went to the corona amphitheater you play life's been good it changed my life and you're the reason why i play guitar and he literally was like what <laughs> he was like so confused. He was like, how old are you? And I was like, I think at the time I was like 22. Yeah. And he was like, you were there? <laughs> like, just so confused that this like 22 year old girl was like, these are the yeah. reasons why I love you. Like, you played at the Corona Amphitheater. I was there. You played Live has Good. You had a hard hat on with a camera on it. And he was like, yes, yes. Okay. We're crazy. And like, I was like, I just want to tell you that I love you. And then I like slowly just like backed away. With, yeah. Like, my life is now complete. Like, I to- told Joe Walsh that I loved him.
1: I have a very similar story with Chris Cornell I was on the vacation with my family somewhere And this is like more recently And it was in, in Greece And uh, well, obviously because he passed tragically recently But this was about four or five years ago And uh, I would see him every day at the beach And like I-, I was such a huge Soundgarden fan as a kid And I saw Soundgarden and Danzig at the Beacon And I saw Soundgarden I even went to see a Guns N' Roses show Just because Soundgarden was opening Like Whoa. I fucking loved them And so... I love Guns N' Roses too, but I really, really, there was a point where Soundgarden was my favorite band. And I, every day I would like n- nearly go up to him and say yeah. on the beach. And like, as I get closer, I'm like, nah, I got a case with this family. <laughs> I'd make up like a neurotic reason in my head why it was, but it was just because I was too much of a pussy to like go up. Yeah, and of course. I think it was like my last day after seeing him like five days in a row on the beach and not going up to him that i decided to like go out on a dinghy like a boat ride with my dad and like my brothers and as the boat is leading the dock i see chris Cornell. i'm like this might be my last time so i like jump off a moving boat as it's pulling away (laughs) from the dock i miraculously land on the dock and i just run and like i haven't even like caught my balance or thing where i just realized that i'm actually now right in front of him i go um I just wanted to just say that I saw you at the Beacon Theater in 1992 with Danzig, and I love, and you're so amazing. And and Seasons from the single soundtrack, your solo song is like one of the greatest songs ever. <laughs> and he just looks at me, and he goes, "You you at that show?" Because I guess I look a little younger than him he's like, "You at that show? How, how old are you, kid?" And I was like, oh, "Flattery will get you everywhere, Mister Mister Cornell." <laughs> but no, and I was just like, and but it was just so amazing. I mean, I've also embarrassed myself. I've gone up now because I have. I am older, so I have been in a room with a lot of heroes and I've had some of the most... Embarrassing ever, but they're always endearing if you're genuine. At the end of the day, because like,
0: even oh, totally. no matter
1: how they react, what does it matter? Like you, ha- you got to tell this person how important they were to you, and it's and it, and when they're nice as well, then that's even more incredible. But yeah,
0: oh yeah, oh, of course. I mean, I we get, have no, we have
2: no shame. When I it comes have no shame. I mean, it takes me fourteen margaritas, but after fourteen margaritas, like I'll fucking, I don't even
0: know. I'll fucking go yeah. jump, like bungee jumping. I didn't like, you can get me to do anything. That same party, <laughs> I drank the liquid courage and went up to Quincy Jones Oh yeah, and we have the same birthday. And so that was the first thing that I said. And I was like, Mr. Jones, I just have to tell you, I'm such a big, I like went through the whole, like, I'm such a big fan. (laughs) Yeah. You're literally like, when I think of like my favorite records, like you're responsible for like most of them, but also fun fact, we have the same birthday. And he was like, Pi day, March 14th, (laughs) you're Pisces. And then I was like, Yes. And then he was like, sit down. We had like a full-blown date. <laughs> nice. Me and Quincy well, Jones I'm at, the other at this side, party. I'm at
2: the other side of the party. I'm already having adrenaline for meeting Joe Walsh. I am like, look, look over and Esty's like, talking to quincy jones and i was like what is our fucking life my <laughs> yeah. dog like yeah. i don't even know like i don't want this is like my wedding day like holding
0: my hand this we is were like, like holding my wedding hands. day
2: my fucking prom and like my fucking firstborn wild. like wrapped in one fucking night i was like so fucking
0: stoked i mean no shame. that was a wild night i and know I, that, and it's not lost on like when we have nights like that we my sisters and i will come together at the end of that and literally say like what, what it, like what is our what, life what, what is our life I mean, mind you, they didn't, like, it's not like they were like, we love your
2: band. I was really just like a fan being like, I love you. Here you no, go. No, that, that party
1: life. was, <laughs> that party was insane.
0: Because you were on that balcony, right? You were in the, with the cool people. No,
1: there wasn't, like, this must be a different party. I wasn't on, a, I thought it was like an SIR rehearsal space and there were different no. rooms no, no, there was like No.
0: There was an after party there that was, was a, near it was, SIR.
1: No, it, was
2: uh, at, it was at Amoeba. It started at Amoeba. Oh, I, I
1: didn't get to go to the Amoeba part where well, then there were performances. I didn't. Yeah, there know. were like was crazy at that performances.
2: After. I think I think the Beach Boys performed, which was also a fucking crazy thing. I was like, literally, like, I, I don't think I've ever been happier in my whole. I mean, again, yeah, life is fucking crazy. Life but is anyway, crazy.
0: Life's, you been mean, things, like, life's, life's been good. Life's been good to you so, so far.
2: Life's been good to me so far. My my mom. I don't have a Maserati. I don't have a Maserati. It doesn't go one eighty five. Yeah. I didn't lose my license I can still drive It's all good Barely oh, Barely Alana's a terrible
0: driver <laughs> I am a terrible driver I do not, not feel to safe off, Do not feel safe with her <laughs> when I'm, If she ever offers To give you a ride Do not take it Okay That's mean It's true <laughs> She's not a good driver I'm a not. great driver I'm not I'm the driver I didn't get my license
2: Until I was 18 Because I was scared to drive I didn't get
1: my license until I was twenty five because I was coming to L.A. because at the time yeah. I was dating our friend Rashida and I was like, oh, I'm in L.A. I Rashida, Full
0: Quincy Jones, there you go, Full Rashida, circle. we love you, Rashida. Love Rashida.
1: Does Rashida know you date her dad? That's weird.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would. <laughs>
1: yeah. What are you doing for the rest of the day?
0: The rest of the day, I mean, it's
2: probably are you guys going some in the studio. Or? Or? Okay. No, I think I think we're going to just eat matzah and, yeah, do and you, eat some matzah brie.
1: <laughs> Rice is okay, because they've said that yes. now there's like new rules. So rice is okay, quinoa is okay. Breaking but, news. But no granola, no pasta. No
2: granola, no obviously no pasta, no, nothing like that. I mean, yeah. I, and I, corn is okay. <laughs> corn is okay, big news. Corn is I okay.
1: We're talking about grow- things that are kosher to eat for Passover, by the right. way. Right.
0: We. Always thought that rice was okay because my dad is Sephardic and my my mom's Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi. so it went by my dad's rules. So we would have rice. Well, it would go by whichever rules applied that made us eat things that we
2: shouldn't. Yeah, of course,
1: Passover can be tough. Like when you are just like cooking at home, trying to rustle something up, you're like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And then I'm like looking at the back of the boxes. I even went to get an energy bar just before this because I knew that I wanted to be on my best for you guys and. I Thank was, like, you. looking at all the things for the K or the P and, the, like, anything, and it, it's, uh, you know, so I made egg fried rice last night.
2: Oh, nice. I it's just stick good. to, like, matzo pizza, matzo with matzo peanut butter bride. and jelly. Matzo, matzo pizza? Matzo, matzo mm-hmm. pizza. You make it?
1: You make the matzo yeah, pizza? Yeah, you
2: have matzo as your dough, then you put a little bit of sauce, then you put and some mozzarella. mozzarella, you put it in the oven, bada bing, bada boom, you got a matzo Wait. pizza. Wait.
1: You guys are Jews and you're talking about just eating cheese like it's nothing? I can't <laughs> eat cheese.
2: I mean, Mozzarella? it's
1: either. Mozzarella? <laughs> Mozzarella.
2: I mean, okay. I... I mean my tummy gets has been grumbly since birth, so like I'm I just, just, used so to I'm just used to it isn't that just but... part of
0: isn't that a way of life? Like aren't you just used to IBS? <laughs> <laughs> S- yes, God it.
1: But I also have now just tried to like, you know, cut some of the things where I can be smart. But will you send me that recipe for a matzo pizza? Cause I think yes, I'm gonna yeah, make it. Absolutely. That
0: tonight. It's a course. lot easier than you think. You're in New York right now. Yeah. If you need any tambourine <laughs> for any of your thing else, I might be in New York Saturday.
1: I'll be back Monday, so just come to the studio and hang from it. I moved back into my old studio on Mercer Street, and so there'll be some tambourine, there'll be something to do. Go get a coffee. Sick.
0: I'll lay down some. Fatty, fat bass lines. he's just going to come up with only tambourine
2: lines, just like tambourine loops, that's it. And like shaker loops, like...
0: That's where
1: we make the splice loops in my studio, the tambourine loops. All right, definitely hit me if you come. And Alana, I hope I see you soon as well.
2: Well, when you come to LA next... Yeah,
1: definitely be good to hang. I think by the time I'll come, everybody be back anyway, right? Yeah. Whatever. I
2: mean, hoping. It's happening soon.
0: It sounds like it's the rollout is... It's happening. It's happening. So, thank if, you for having us. Thank you us. for having us. Of
1: course, no, that's we cool. miss you it's, a lot. Love you. Yes, love you. Miss you. Let's hang soon. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this interview with Haim. I had so much fun. Thank you to Haim for sharing so much of their time. Zay kazunt, take me out with the fader.
2: Thanks again to Heim for taking the time to talk with us. A special Fader thank you to our Grammy and Oscar award-winning host, Mark Ronson. Please visit thefader.com slash podcast to read the original cover story and check out a playlist of artists mentioned in this episode. If you like the show, please share it and review us on your favorite podcast app. Executive Producers Rob Stone and John Cohen. Directed by Daniel Nevetta and produced by The Fader, in association with byt.nyc. Engineered and mixed by David Rogers Berry. Theme music by DJ Premier. For Fader Uncovered merchandise, please visit shop.thefader.com. Thanks, and see you next week.